If you could tell about your love, it's not enough to hold you and your partner together. It's got to be greater than you, greater than your desires. It's got to have preference in it. And you must love your mate or try to love them more than they love you. Now, this is the thing that the home is built on. But love is not enough. You can love a partner as much as anyone could love her and then not be true to her. She could not have faith in you. He could not have faith in you. And that home would not work at all. That marriage could not last. And that's so in the marriage because it's blending together man and wife. But what we have in the church and in our religion is a marriage. And when people fail to think about their religion as a marriage with Christ, then they have missed the relationship they have with him. Paul said we're married to another, even to him who has been resurrected from the grave. The Bible very clearly describes that union. That Christ is the head of the church, even as the husband is the head of the wife. He said, Husbands, love your wife, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself. And that's in matrimony. As one flesh. So when we're talking about relationship in religion, we're talking about relationship with Christ. Jimmy and I spoke a while this evening with each other about the reason that people weren't contented in faith and in religion. And that is that they're not God conscious. Now, you women, if you were married to a man and he never came home and you never saw him and once in a while you got a letter from him, what kind of marriage would you have? Or if you went back and read his letters every day? There's got to be more than just the knowledge that he's there. Before you can have a marriage, you've got to have the presence of both the husband and the wife. 
And if that happens, then you'll have the presence of the little children. <laughs> if we have a church, and if we are the right kind of church members, and if we're God-conscious, then we're always walking with Christ. Now, this is what was pointed out in the Old Testament, the seventh from Adam, whose name was Enoch. The Bible said that Enoch was not, because he walked with God, and God took him. Now, he walked with God because he recognized the presence of God. And we walk with God because we recognize, feel, and know that God is present with us. My father taught me when I was a young boy how to know and to feel the presence of God. You don't have to see a thing to know it's present. How many of you see the air, the wind, that you know it's present? There are some things that you know are there. And this is one thing that you know is there because of faith. God has promised, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you or let you alone. And what bothers me is when God begins to disturb me. Because I know he's trying to get me back on the right road and get me to do the right thing about some things. My wife talked about me talking to myself. I said, oh, I don't talk to myself. You just don't see who I'm talking to. And he's always that present with me. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. And what I'm talking to you then, instead of talking about the presence of God, I use another word. I use faith. Now this is a little word, but it's one of the greatest words that you'll ever experience. I know that in the 13th chapter, in the last verse of 1 Corinthians, when Paul has gone over all of the great miraculous gifts he said, all of these things are coming to an end. And now abide a faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these three is love. And I was quite puzzled about that when I learned as much about faith as I have. Here's such passages as in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, that's a pretty great thing, isn't it? Yet, it's second to love. For 
he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You can't please him without faith. If you come to him, you must have that faith. But you have to believe more than that, that he's there working for you. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. He's with us. He's doing something. He's working for us. Rewards us. Then that diligently believe. How great is faith. Couldn't please God without it. Just break faith in your marriage. You get mad and kind of fall out of love. You still have faith in each other. You didn't patch it up. Yet, love will overlook. Faith points out facts. Never denied one. So everybody that comes to God must come to God with facts. Come to God with truth. To come to God with obedience. And faith is that great. Now, the 11th chapter of Hebrews is called the Religious Hall of Fame. If we started around this wall and just put up a sign for every one of the patriarchs that's named, you'd have such men as Enoch, Abraham, Moses, many of the patriarchs, David, you have all the apostles and all in what they did. And all of it would be based on what they believed. For whatever they believed caused them to do whatever they did. Now you get laxed. You didn't get laxed because you got laxed. You got laxed because your faith got weak. And that's the reason faith is your saving power in Christ. But, you know, faith is a funny thing. Everybody can get all of it they want, but there's just one place to get it. They don't have two bins to go take it out of, it just has one. Paul said in the Roman letter, so then in the 10th chapter, so then you see that faith comes by. We got it on his way, hadn't we? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You can't let this book lie on the shelf. You can't let it stay closed and have the kind of faith that it takes to please God. Faith comes by hearing. You read these words. 
and you must read them, and as you read them, you must lose sight that you're reading out of a book. And when you read them, you don't hear yourself, but you hear God speaking. And it's not faith until you begin to read it that way. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing not by your imagination, but by the Word of God. I don't think we've impressed that enough on our children. You see, we've got five preachers where I preach. We've got three young preachers to work with our youth. We've got one young preacher that works with our young adults. And I'm reminded of Booker T. Washington. See, Booker T. Washington was the first colored man that was ever in the Senate. And when he got in the Senate, he told them that he had one purpose in mind. He said, my people need a savior. And I am it. He began to collect money from everybody in our government to build a school to educate the black people. At that time, they weren't allowed in our schools. He went to John D. Rockefeller. Told John D. Rockefeller what he wanted to do. He wanted to build a school that would come through college for him. John D. Rockefeller was impressed with him and wrote him out a check for five thousand dollars. Booker T. Washington looked at it and handed it back to him. Said. Mr. Rockefeller, I don't think you know the seriousness of my mission. Walked out. Now, no one had ever done John Rockefeller that way. Here he stood with a $5,000 check that a man had refused. The more he thought about it, the more it bothered him. The more he bothered him, the more he knew he had to do something about it. So I called Booker T. Washington. Come back to my office. Booker T. came. He said, this bothered me. Told how old he was and how much money he had given people and said, never before have I had a man just to do that. 
Why did you do it? Well, he said, Mr. Rockefeller, that's what I would ask you. All of my people are without a school. They're without a way to be educated. They're without a way to improve themselves. And that's only worth $5,000 to you. John D. Rockefeller got his checkbook and his pen. And he wrote him out a check for $5 million. Why? Because he saw the seriousness of the situation. He wouldn't have if it hadn't been called to his attention. Now, what I'm trying to do tonight is to get you to see the seriousness of faith. The seriousness of walking with God and being God conscious. The seriousness of being the sinners in this community who are without God and without hope in this world. I'm trying to get you to see without faith they're lost, without faith they'll die, without faith they'll burn in hell. God's going to burn them, but what's he going to do with you and me? Whom he gave the responsibility to preach the gospel to every one of them. I don't think that the church today knows the seriousness. Are you hearing me? That they know the seriousness of people being lost. Leaving people without faith. Leaving people with untold lives. Not knocking at their door. Not getting down and praying with them. Not making them feel the love of God. Well, I'm not worried about their non-faith. I'm worried about the lack of the faith of the church. And I went back to Rogers. We had a fine young man preaching for us. He just couldn't communicate with the audience. He'd been there after far for nine years. I told the other elders, I said, now, I love Jim, but Jim is not the man for the job. All we could do was maybe to get about a $4,000 a Sunday contribution. We never could get to 500 
his people work big on it. And oh, we change preachers. We added preachers. And then we added more preachers. We added until we had a lot of preachers. In those four years, we're now twice as big as we were then. Our contribution runs over $12,000 a Sunday. Eddie Clore came up for a collection the other day, and the way of proof is for the work in Africa. I made a special plea. The contribution was $35,000 that day for him. Now, that didn't just happen. It takes somebody in the driver's seat that keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And if I don't push, Christ is not going to reach that house. Now, I can't make all of them. I don't need to. We've got 800 members now that ought to make at least 800 houses a week. You didn't come into the church to sit. Faith doesn't stand still. The Bible said that is faith that worketh by love. What I'm talking about tonight is our attitude of the lost, our attitude of the work that we have to do, and how shall we manage that? Now, my daddy used to tell me not to work harder, but to work smarter. I think that's right. Now, it isn't that we don't spend enough money, we don't do enough things. We're not exercising our faith at the right moment, in the right place. When I went to Rogers, I said, well, I'll tell you what I'd like to have. I'd like for us to get a tent. And without any extra charge or anything, I'll hold a meeting every month through the summer. Now, there's something about a tent meeting that people will come to. I've been there 10 years, we've never put that tent up. Why? Too many people are not interested in whether other souls are saved or not. They're interested in too many big things. That build building. Right now we are in a building project. So already we know it's going to cost us a million three hundred thousand dollars, and before it's through, it'll cost two million. 
couple of the elders and I won't let things like that happen without putting just that much in the mission work. Okay. If you can spit it on yourself, you can spit it on mission work to save souls. I want God's work to have a priority, not, uh -oh, excuse, not man's. I want our faith to be in obedience to God, not in something that we're building. I want God to have the preeminence, and that's what I'm talking about faith is. Now, just for a moment, let me talk to you about what we believe. Faith has to be the truth. You may have a lot of things that's wrong, but it's not faith in God. And yet, do you know how untaught that so many of our people are? Sometimes in a meeting, people talk about being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Where did they get that impression? From preachers? People have no idea how they're saved by the blood of Christ. Or they think they're washed in the blood of the Lamb when they're baptized. Now, the blood cleanses there, but that's not the way it comes. When Jesus Christ came to earth, Hanged on Calvary's cross, shed his blood. Hebrews 9 said it was also necessary that this man have somewhat to offer. So he entered into heaven, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood, and offered it before God. It was God that needed the blood. It was shed. If it had been for us, he'd have left it down here. But he took it before God. And it was for the same purpose that the blood of all the bulls and goats that had been killed. That is, it was carried into the holiest of holy. And there sprinkled the mercy seat before God. And the sprinkling of that blood removed the sins or the remembrance of the sins from God's mind for a whole year. Whole year. But when Jesus Christ took his blood and went before God in heaven and now offered that blood before God, it gave God amnesia to the operation that the Lord had prepared. Peter said we'd come to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. 
Paul said, we've come to the sprinkling of the blood that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And Paul explained how it was done. He said, you let us draw near unto God with a true heart and a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. That's what sprinkled is there. The understanding. And our bodies washed with pure water. When Christ offered that blood before God, the decree was made there that every believer that came and had his body washed by faith. But that sprinkled blood sanctified him and gave God amnesia to every sin that he'd ever committed. doesn't know the sins that we committed when we come to the spring of the blood. How? Draw near unto God with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience when our sin bodies are washed with pure water. Hebrews 10, 22. The blood was to be applied to the heart and mind of God. I was to get the effects of it. But I had my body washed with pure water. It's not what happens to me when I'm buried with God in baptism. It's what happens to God. Now, when you remove the importance from you and put the importance on God, then it changes the importance of the act. It's God that forgives. It's God that forgets. And he said, I'll forget when you are in a position that shows that you're ready to be washed. It's the washing of the water by the word, Paul said. But it's the sprinkling of the blood to the binding heart of God. And I could go on from now. In fact, I could preach weeks about things that we never touch. Two weeks ago, a couple of our young preachers said we've got a meeting with a couple. We don't know how to handle this. They're pretty strong Baptists. Oh, well, I'll go happy. And you know, we went over this. And that couple listened to me. And when I got through, he was quiet for a while. He said, 
Brother Stadler, this is as new to me as to my Could you go over that again? Well, of course I could. Those two people were baptized into Christ. We are not serious enough about the salvation of the lost. We are not serious enough about our faith. When I was at Brownfield, we had a man working in Rhodesia, Africa. He came home and stayed a while to raise money so he could go back. They left one little boy, about 12, 13 years old, got a see after things. He was working with him. When he got back, that little boy came meeting. Said, uh huh. Said, while you've been gone, I found you out. I read your book. Said, you're not good like your book, or you'd have been here before my father died and saved him. I heard that man stand in the pulpit at Brownfield Church where I was preaching. I tell that in weep. Don't let people find us out that we're not good, like our book, that we believe it. Now, I, I've been far too long here. But you don't know what a good time I've been there. <laughs> and how I love the Word of God. And how I love the souls of men. And I love you. This is the truth that I preach tonight. Take it. Think about it. Get serious about it. But if you anything to make right with God, or that you need, we give you an opportunity to do it now while together we stand and sing.